This week on How to Succeed in Evil. So I've been referring to you in my mind as the Hardness. <laughs> it just seems fitting to me. John Hardness, fellow charlatan, uh, charlatan, author of the Black Knight Chronicles, Bubba the Monster Hunter, and Quincy Harker, Demon Hunter. By the way, those aren't books. Those are series. John is a grinder, a mighty hammerer of defenseless keyboards, a raconteur, and was a pleasure to talk to. So, evil schemes. I'm a fan. Some men just want to watch the world burn. World burn. This is How to Succeed in Evil. You need people like me so you can point your fingers and say, that's the bad guy. Just want to watch the world burn. An ongoing exploration of what makes bad guys good. Now who, Mr. Bond, I expect you to buy. And I'm Patrick E. McLean. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world it didn't exist. There are so many good villains out there, and so many of the best ones aren't really villains, or at least they aren't villains to themselves. Darth Vader is a brilliant example of that. He's the villain. He's a bad guy. But everything he does is rational to him. It makes perfect sense and is completely justified in his head. Magneto is another one. I think Magneto is a great villain just because over the decades and decades that we've had this character, we've seen such an evolution of of him from just cardboard two-dimensional, ha I'm going to take your bones out and beat you with them, Wolverine, to... Holocaust survivor who was turned against humanity by seeing the darkest of humanity to salvation of the mutant race to leader of the X-Men to destroyer of the X-Men to all these things. So I really love villains that have a lot of layers to them. And Magneto's probably going to, yeah, he'll probably win out at least for today. Oh, Magneto is Magneto is tremendous, and he also has the added benefit. Um, I can't speak to all the comics, but he has the added benefit in many of the movies with having these speeches, where you say, "Yeah, yeah, that that, that makes a lot of sense." So many of his speeches through the movies and the comics, it he's right. You know, humanity is shitting on the mutants, and somebody's got to stand up for them, and it's. J- his villainy is really so often just being a little further over the line than what's acceptable. Magneto is nothing more than Wolverine without Xavier. Hmm. I have to think about that. That's because a deep if, that's a deep thought. If Wolverine didn't have Charles Xavier to be his moral compass. Wolverine would just kill people. You know, I think that I think that uh, Magneto has a moral compass. Oh, I he think, absolutely does. I think he just views things in a way, in a very, well, you know, they're going to come for us. 
Yeah. Like, let's not kid ourselves. They're coming for us. His, his stopping point is just a little too far for what we're allowed to consider as the good guys. And it's it raises an interesting point because what we consider as bad guys, I mean, of course, it changes over time. But yes. because we have so much more information now about anybody that you would, you know, the other, the person you would care to make the bad guy, it, it's, right. it becomes harder and harder to have a, a, a one-dimensional villain. Yes. And, and I think that's good because one-dimensional villains are boring. There's a movie that I watched not too long ago. I think it was called, as I look it up right now, I think it was called Fire with Fire. Uh, no, it wasn't the one in 1986. Um, Vincent D'Onofrio played a villain. And he was a crime boss. Yeah, it was called Fire with Fire. It was 2012. It was Vincent D'Onofrio played the bad guy. And Josh Duhamel was in it. Bruce Willis was in it for about 15 seconds. Rosaria Dawson. And Josh Duhamel plays one of these interchangeable cop hero types but D'Onofrio's this kingpin bad guy, and there's a point at which Duhamel has him on the phone, and he's giving him the setup. He says, why are you doing this? And D'Onofrio's character has this great option to monologue and has this opportunity to talk about any justification. Maybe he grew up in the neighborhood and his father ran a bodega and was killed by a gangbanger or was killed in a stick-up or somebody ran over his mother or his dog or whatever. But no. The writers of the movie completely cop out and D'Onofrio's character just says, I'm just that bad <laughs> yeah and it's terrible and you've got this great actor who's completely wasted in a in a cardboard cutout of a villain and we saw with netflix's daredevil what an actor like d'onofrio can do when you flesh out a villain well Dare daredevil his um his kingpin is tremendous and tremendously sympathetic. So his kingpin uh, is better than than the other guy's daredevil. Oh, I was about to say I've watched the entire series, and honestly, I'm I just kind of rooting for kingpin because they're both they're both terribly flawed characters, right? Absolutely. But I can really understand uh, the kingpin's motivation, and he's the person who, at the end of it, he comes to grips with himself and is more fully actualized. It's kind of his story. Daredevil doesn't really learn anything. It's all about being the hero of your own of your own story. The best villains are always the heroes of their narrative. If you ask if you ask D'Onofrio as an actor who's the hero of this series, he's going to tell you Kingpin. Oh, of course. Of course. And that's an that's an old actor joke. You had the um you had the guy who was played the doctor in um, Streetcar Named Desire. And the doctor's on stage for one scene, has three lines. And you ask, some, you ask him, what's the play about? And this community theater guy who plays the doctor says, well, it's a play about this doctor. 
Well, I mean, it, it, it has to be if you're, if you're going to think through, well, there's two ways because, yes. you know, um, and, and I know that you're, uh, uh, you have a lot of involvement and experience with the theater as well. Oh God. Yeah. But I was, uh, I was talking to our, our mutual friend Scott about this one day and we were talking about story and how story works. And he says, you know, there's all that stuff that actors do, but he goes, really what's helped me a lot is figuring out what the story is and my part in conveying the story. Yeah. Um, and when you start to look at it from a very that that touchstone, does this tell the story I want it to sell, tell or does it not like every beat, every sentence, everything? Is it creating the effect I want? Um, I, it, it's brought a lot of clarity to my writing. I know that. Absolutely. When you when you um, when you boil it down to are you achieve are you achieving your objectives? Does this help me? move the story forward. I, yeah. I, when I lived in Los Angeles, I had this question that I would ask. Um, well, invariably it was waiters. Um, and if they told me that they were acting, they were actors. Well, anybody really I ran into my question was, and this was designed to separate the people who are really actors from the people who were, were not. My question was, what is bad acting or what is good <laughs> acting? And I don't even really care what the answer is to that. It's just, if you're serious, you've got to have answers to those questions. Oh, yeah. What, what are your favorite evil schemes? These can be big, take over the world, kind of pinky in the brain schemes. They can be small cons. They can be, when you think about, you know, the cunning scheme. Almost always, if, it's, if, we're ta- if we go to TV, let's just say anything with Mark Shepard in it. Mark Mark Shepard. Yes. Any scheme that involves Mark Shepard. Because from him playing Badger in Firefly to him playing whoever he played in Leverage to him playing Crowley in Supernatural, he's always that little British shitbird that is one step ahead of the good guys and smug as balls about it. And I love that. That little, that little smirk that says, I knew all along what you're just now figuring out. And what you're just now figuring out is that you're utterly screwed. So what, what is it in you? And, and what is it in us? Because I, I lump myself into the category that reacts to that and, and that, that pulls at you. I, I'm not sure I know the answer for me, but I'm asking you because it's an interview. Right, because I'm the one being interviewed. I'm the one who has to make up a valid answer to that bullshit. (laughs) Um, I want to be, and almost never am, the smartest guy in the room. Yeah, and you want to be, you want to feel like you're ahead of the game. You're ahead of everybody else. I love it when I get it. It's one reason I had to stop watching some TV shows because they became too easy to get. There was, I forget what show it was, but there was a formula where they, the guest star on the show that week, who you had seen as a secondary character in some canceled series the season before, was always going to be the villain. 
Oh, there's a bunch of shows like that. Uh, yeah. uh, um, Columbo always, you know, the, the biggest star was always the villain. I like right. the, uh, I like the, uh, the special guest star device in the original uh, Police Squad, you know, the thing that became Naked Gun. Yeah. Where they would say guest starring, you know, like Leonard Nimoy. And it's a scene of him, Leonard Nimoy, eating in a restaurant, and he just gets killed. And then you never see him again. But it's right in the opening credits. Yes. Somebody just guns him down in a plate of spaghetti. Love that. It's like Scream, where they off Drew Barrymore in the first 30 seconds of the movie. Yeah, it's... it's God um, rest bless Craven. Oh yeah, that's yeah. You know, that's you a huge loss, and you don't really think about that because I'm not the biggest fan of horror movies. But you go, look back on what that guy did. He rewrote the book. He took the slasher movie and made it smart again, because the original Nightmare on Elm Street is a very smart movie. Yeah. And it's very high concept, and especially for a time when we were wallowing in Jason 37 or whatever, and it was just this unbeatable, nameless, faceless, boring-ass villain. It, it, ha it has that element in horror that I think every great horror story of any kind needs, which is after you've seen it. There's something that scares you for weeks to come. Yeah. And it's the falling asleep. And it's something you can't help. You can't do anything about it. Because you have to sleep. <laughs> right. Um, it's, it's an effect that I find in Lovecraft a lot. You know, um, like uh, Shadow Over Innsmouth. Mm-hmm. Every time I'm on the coast somewhere and I drive through this strange little small town and the people talk a little funny or give you that strange look because you're an outsider, I think to myself, there's somebody breeding with fish in this town. Ah, I have to admit I've not read any Love, Lovecraft. I know I'm going to get kicked out of HWA for that. Uh, but. You know, I, I would read like, for, for me, like... I mean, I, I I write, you write, we we do a bunch of stuff. Time to read is very scarce, and that's uh, it is. And there's so much product coming out, and there is so much. Um, and at this point, I feel so obligated to so many of my friends who are wonderful writers, but they're also damn prolific. Yeah, I can't keep up. And this is this is one of the reasons uh, why I'm doing this podcast because if and, and I'll just be totally honest. If if someone came to me and said, I'm only going to read 25 books, or I'm going to read maybe 50 books in the rest of my life, what 50 books do you think they should I should read? It, it wouldn't be, my book wouldn't be on there. Oh, God, no, mine wouldn't make the list. You, you know what I mean? Um, and I don't want to, um, I don't want to give false recommendations. There are things that I like about people's work, and some of the people, you know, I've yeah. read. You're, you're on the list. I love the concept oh, of Bubba you. the Monster Hunter. I, I mean, it's just... This it's is a great so much idea. fun. But, but the thing is, I think to do this is a bit more, um, has a bit more integrity because when you, when you sit down, when you read a, uh, an author's book, right, you're really spending time deep in that person's mind. Yes. So my hope with these kind of things is, because 
most interviews are just kind of where do you get your ideas from? How do you blah blah blah? It's just bullshit. Right, right, right. Yeah, it is. But this is people listen to the people who come on the podcast, and maybe they think about fiction differently. Maybe other writers get some ideas and think about villains, mm-hmm. and then people go, you know, I really kind of liked that guy. I'm going to go read his book. That'd be that's awesome. That's you know that's obviously why we all agree to be on podcasts. And we also love talking about story because it's not just writing. It's not just the business. It's about conveying story. And you mentioned earlier that I've been, that I have a little bit of experience in theater, which is a slight understatement. You're also a little bit pregnant. Exactly. No, I'm just fat. There's a difference. (laughs) The hotness. Right. The grand hotness. Um, Yeah, I spent 20 years producing, directing, designing, performing in theater before I got tired of paying for the privilege. And that's all about story. And that's what attracted me to doing theater. And when I stopped doing theater, it's it's why I transitioned to writing and why I've bounced back and forth my whole life between these two things. Because I feel like there are stories to tell. They're not mine. The stories aren't mine. They're some creative force or the universe or whatever. Mitochondrians, whatever you want to call it. Oh, oh man, I hate that explanation. <laughs> but, but you know, it, it is the job, really. You go yeah. into a place where there's nothing and you come back with something. And yes. the mysticism of that, however hard-nosed you want to be about the rest of it, cannot be overemphasized. True. You're creating something out of whole, out of air. Air and pure arrogance. <laughs> oh, and man. I got plenty of both to spare. <laughs> the hotness. <laughs> right. Exactly. Um. <laughs> So I had this, I wrote this note when we were talking about evil schemes, because this is one of my favorites, and I just thought about it in conjunction with theater. Mm-hmm. But in Henry V, mm-hmm. there's this scene, I don't know where it's a part one or two, but uh, there's this scene where Falstaff, it's in this battle, and I think Henry runs over because he thinks Falstaff is dead, mm-hmm. and Falstaff has just been faking dead yeah. to get out of getting killed. And it's just, it's just brilliant. Falstaff is actually one of my very favorite Shakespearean characters, and I wrote under that as my pseudonym for several years. Oh, man. John Falstaff is the man. Let's, uh, let's talk a little bit, uh, get some audio about, uh, about what you got going on, about, about Bubba, and anything else you want to talk sure. about. Sure. Um, August was my biggest release month, probably ever. This summer, I've released a lot of product because I'm going for the going for the professional writer card. In other words, I got laid off at the end of June, so I got to write a shit ton to pay the bills. <laughs> ah, nothing like the wolves to inspire you. Exactly. But the same day I was laid off was release day for book five of the Black Knight Chronicles, which is my urban fantasy series from Bellbridge Books. That came out on June 30th and has done quite well so far. Um, Then in July, I released the compilation, The End of Bubba Season 2. 
and the compilation for Bubba Season 2. The Season 2 compilation is called uh, Grits, Guns, and Glory. And it's got 11 short stories in that volume. And that wraps up the first two major arcs of the Bubba series. It finally puts to bed all of the all of the drama between he and his dad and his brother and everything comes to a big conclusion at the University of Georgia home football season opener because Bubba's a bulldog. Of, of course. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, he's from Mountain in Dalton, Georgia. He's going to be a book bulldog. So then I also released, it at the very end of July, 1st of August, the third of my Quincy Harker Demon Hunter novellas. The third one is called Hell on Heels. I use hell in every title because it's what I do. I, didn't, I decided not to steal song titles for all of the book titles for this one. The hardness. Right. <laughs> so book three is Hell on Heels, and it has done very well. Also in July, I released my first attempt at Epic Fantasy, which is Queen of Cats, Volume 1, Betrayal. This is a serialized novel. It's going to come out in three parts. There will be a novella each quarter until the novel is released, and it will be three, three novellas, Part 1, Part 2, Part 3, and then I will package it as a novel and pull the novellas off sale and put the novel on sale. <laughs> <laughs> 